Uh, before we have our reading, I would like just to tell you a few things by way of background to it. The Apostle Paul was on his third missionary journey. He was visiting the churches that he had helped to establish in Asia Minor and in Greece. His main objectives uh, were to check how those churches were doing and to support them. But he also had a subsidiary goal. He was organising a collection for the church in Jerusalem. The church there was in some kind of need. We don't know quite what that was, perhaps associated with ongoing food shortages. But in any event, the collection was a major enterprise. Paul mentions it several times in his letters, and it's also mentioned in the book of Acts. In particular, in his first letter to the Corinthian church, he told the Corinthians that each week as they met, they should put aside some of their money as a contribution towards that gift. Now, Paul hadn't been to Corinth since he wrote that letter, but he had had to deal remotely with a number of significant difficulties in the church. And I suspect that it was with some trepidation that he returned to the subject of the gift in what we call his second letter to the Corinthians. And with that, we ought to hear what he had to say on the subject. So, Dan, perhaps you'd come up and give us our reading. Can I suggest, by the way, as Dan comes up, that you do get it open in front of you. It's on page 1163 of our Bibles. I will be referring to it in some detail in what I say. Over to you, Dan. The reading can be found on page 1163 of your Pew Bibles. And it's entitled, The Collection for the Lord's People. And I'm reading from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 15. And now, brothers and sisters... We want you to know about the grace God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, poverty welled up in, in rich generosity for I testify that the, uh, the, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectation. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then, by the will of God, also to us. So we urge Titus, 
just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also the completion of this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do, do so. Now finish the uh, work so that you might eager, you might, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not, in not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in, in turn, their plenty will supply your need. The goal is equality. As it is written, the one who gathered much did not have too much, but the one who gathered little did not have too little. Uh, before we look at that, let's pray, shall we? Father, we pray that you would be with me as I speak and that you would guide all of our thinking and our wills so that we would understand and fulfill your will and experience the joy of doing so. Amen. Uh, I'm sure that most of us, and I include myself in this, uh, when we hear a reading like that, suspect 
that the sermon is going to be a poorly disguised appeal for money for the church. And of course, the church does need money. Uh, This church costs over £400,000 a year to run, and the vast majority of that has to come from us. However, I am not today talking specifically about giving to the church. In fact, I'm not going to mention what we should give to, nor am I going to mention how much we should give. I'm rather going to focus on the truths and principles that should underpin our attitude to giving in general. So let's look at what Paul says in this passage about giving. Uh, Incidentally, he was probably writing from either Philippi or Thessalonica in the Roman province of Macedonia. And he starts by telling the Corinthian Christians about what the Macedonians have done. Take a look at verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now, when you initially read that, you might assume that Paul is simply saying, don't be put to shame by the Macedonians. But look at it a bit more closely, and you'll see he's saying much more than that. Go back and look more closely at verse 1. We want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Generosity is a manifestation of God's grace working in us. In fact, if you look at Romans chapter 12, verse 8, you will see that Paul describes giving as a spiritual gift, one of the charismata. If before this sermon I told you that I was going to be talking this morning about one of the charismatic gifts, uh, I wonder how many of you would have wondered whether I might be talking about giving. Not many of you, I suspect, but that's what Paul says it is. This giving is a spiritual gift. Now, of course, uh, non-Christians, many non-Christians can be generous. But I suspect that if we're really honest, all of us will admit that we spend rather more time thinking about ourselves than we do thinking about other people, and that our generosity is rather outweighed by our egocentricity. Uh, The average person in this country gives rather less than 1% of their income to charity. We need God's grace. We need what Paul says here. We need to excel in this grace of giving. And in order to do that, We need God's grace to be at work in us. And therefore, we should ask for that. Um, Have you ever asked God, Lord, please make me a more generous person? Have you ever said, Lord, please give me this grace of giving? Please give me this spiritual gift of generosity? Well, we should do that. 
Because we know it's God's will that we should be more generous. We're told, aren't we, to be imitators of Christ. And Christ's whole life was one of giving himself. Paul says that in in verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. We should pray for the spiritual gift of generosity. And that mention of Jesus points to a second issue. Our generosity and our giving is a manifestation of something deeper. Look at verse 5. And they exceeded our expectations. The Macedonians exceeded Paul's expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Asking God to transform us in any way is pointless if we haven't first committed ourselves to him. Uh, Giving generously is not a freestanding thing. We need first to be committed to Jesus. We we need to commit our whole lives to him. And, And I wonder whether in the last two years with COVID, there's been a decrease in that commitment. I wonder whether the problems of the last two years might have made some of us turn in on ourselves. I know it's been a pressure on on, on me. I wonder whether the worries have caused us to reduce our commitment. Have, Have they? We need to examine ourselves in relation to that. Do you remember in the parable of the sower, Jesus said that the cares of the world, rather like weeds, can grow up and choke our spiritual life. And in the letters to the churches at the beginning of the book of Revelation, which of course we're looking at in our evening series, in those letters there is a warning about becoming lukewarm. We need to examine ourselves and honestly ask ourselves whether that is true of us, whether that's happened over the last two years. And we need to repent as necessary and in any event, recommit ourselves to Jesus. So, uh, our giving is a manifestation of our commitment to Jesus, but it's also a manifestation of our love. Uh, Take a look at verse 8. Paul says, I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. If we say we love God and we love our neighbour... Yet there's no evidence of that. We may question whether our love is real. When writing the first time to the Macedonians, sorry, to the Corinthians, Paul says, If I give all I possess to the poor but do not have love, I am nothing. So it's possible to give without love, but it's not possible to love without giving. And as we do that, or try to do it, we need to remember that our love derives from God's love for us. Do you remember what the Apostle John said in his first letter? We love because God first loved us. 
And, and we therefore need again to examine ourselves, ask ourselves, are we truly loving God? Are we truly loving our neighbour? And if not, and, and I'm sure all of us must recognise that we fall seriously short, then we should ask that God would give us such an appreciation of his love, such an appreciation of what Jesus has done, that we respond in love for God and share his love for other people. Some of you may have noticed that there's something that Paul said in those first few verses that I've skipped over. Go back to verse 2. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. The, the Macedonians experienced overflowing joy and it produced rich generosity. Do you experience uh, over, overflowing joy? Be honest, have the last two years perhaps dampened that? a bit? Have you experienced the pressures of life and felt a bit pressed down? I know that I have and I continue to do so. And equally, I know intellectually what the reason is for it. In fact, when I was preparing this sermon this morning, I realised that I needed to listen to my own sermon in relation to this. Uh, and I will, by the way, afterwards. But, but, but I know that these things are caused by me focusing on the wrong things. I tend to focus on the problems, the short-term issues, instead of focusing on eternal realities. Paul experienced severe suffering. If you want to read about it, you can do so in 2 Corinthians chapters 4 and 11. But having told the Corinthians about that, he, he concludes as follows. This is right at the end of chapter 4. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not in what, on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal." Like Paul, the Macedonians experienced problems. In fact, Paul says they experienced a very severe trial. But we don't know what that was. What we do know is that when Paul was in Philippi, and again when he was in Thessalonica, he experienced persecution. And then later, when he was writing to the Thessalonians, he referred to their persecutions and trials. Furthermore, he tells us here, they were extremely poor, and yet they experienced overflowing joy. You see, COVID is not a reason to be downcast. The problems of our lives generally are not reasons to be downcast. The problems of society are not reasons to be downcast. Rather, what we need to do is what's suggested in the book of Hebrews. This is Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 2 and 3. Let's run with perseverance the race set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, 
scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray that that's what we would do, that that would be true of us. Let's pray that God would give us a, a, a right perspective on our lives, the true eternal perspective on our lives, so that we would be able to focus on it and have that overflowing joy that produces rich generosity. The relationship between uh, joy and generosity is actually a two-way one. Joy produces generosity, but generosity also produces joy. Uh, Did you notice that Paul tells us that the Macedonians regarded it as a privilege to take part in the gift to the Jerusalem church? This is the end of verse 3. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And and Paul says to the Corinthians that he thinks that giving to the Jerusalem church is best for them. Verse 10, and here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. And of course, in doing that, both the Macedonians and Paul were merely reflecting what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Do you believe that? Intellectually, I believe that, and in practice, I have experienced the reality of it. And yet, and yet I need constantly to be reminded about it. I'm sure those of you with children will have experienced the joy of giving to them. And I hope that most of us here have experienced the joy of giving to someone Oh, of course, I know that some cynics suggest that that joy derives from superiority or pride or power. And indeed, that may well be true of some people. It may be a danger, a temptation to many of us. After all, Jesus warned that we should be careful to do our giving in secret. But but the fact that joy can be badly founded does not prove that pure and true joy doesn't exist. We, We can experience the joy of God's pleasure, the joy of participating in God's work, the joy of simply doing good. And 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 if we doubt it, then we should try it. And and as we do so. We should pray that God would give us that joy that that accompanies it. Finally, there are two things that Paul doesn't say, but which I think we would all probably have put in this letter had we been writing it. First of all, he doesn't say that the Corinthians are under any obligation to give, to contribute to this collection of his. Now you may say, but but hang on a moment, aren't we under an obligation to give? And in a sense, yes we we are. If we keep all our possessions to ourselves, then we're misusing them and we will not be doing God's will. 
But there's a conundrum, which I'm sure is what caused Paul not to use his authority to command the Corinthians to give. You see, unwilling giving is not pleasing to God. Takes me back to that verse from 1 Corinthians 13 that I quoted before. If I give all I possess to the poor but do not have love, I am nothing. God wants us to choose to follow him. God wants us to choose to give. He wants us to be willing. And, of course, compulsion does not produce willingness, does it? It's one of the problems with taxation. The compulsion takes away the free choice. It takes away the free exercise of moral agency. It takes away the joy, doesn't it? Do any of you experience joy in paying taxes? You see, God wants us to be willing. He wants us to choose to give. And then secondly, did you notice Paul doesn't mention how much the Corinthians should give? In fact, he says the absolute absolute amount doesn't matter. Take a look at verse 11. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. God doesn't ask us to give what we haven't got. Do you remember Jesus once saw a widow put two small coins into the temple treasury? Do you remember what he said? Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has given more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. The issue is not the absolute amount, it's generosity. So we shouldn't compare ourselves with other people in terms of the absolute amount we give. But we should note that Paul has no compunction in inviting the Corinthians to compare themselves with the Macedonians in relation to generosity. And we too should compare ourselves with the Macedonians We should compare ourselves with other examples of generosity in the Bible, and indeed other examples of generosity known to us in the contemporary world or or, or elsewhere. We should think about what God expected of his people in Old Testament times, and we should consult our consciences. Am I a generous person? And in that context, uh, it's worth noting uh, that Paul says that his goal is equality. Take a look at verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. He's not there making a general political, moral, or philosophical point. He's simply dealing with a potential objection to what he's saying. One of the Corinthians might have said, well, that's all very well, Paul, so you're going to impoverish us so that the Jerusalem church can live well. And Paul denies it. Verse 14, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. This is a matter of give and take. 
Uh, and we need to remember that, but we need to also to remember two subpoints. Uh, the first is this. The give and the take may comprise different things. We may give materially and receive spiritual things. And equally importantly, we should remember that our job is to do the giving. We can leave God to arrange the taking. We should uh, pull back from the detail and just ask ourselves what we can take from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'd suggest we should all think about our giving and our attitude to giving. Uh, Let's seek that grace of giving, the spiritual gift of generosity. Let's recommit ourselves to Jesus. Let's ask God to give us such an appreciation of his love and what Jesus has done for us that we would respond in love of him and share his love of other people. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and ask that God would give us a true eternal perspective on our own lives that would produce that overwhelming joy the Macedonians had and uh, produce rich generosity in us. Let's examine our generosity. And above all, as we do that, let's remember the Macedonians. Amen.